podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. Joining me as always, me being Philip, him being Andy Mitz, my usual basketball cohort. Andy, uh, dude, Saturday was, you, you went into the weekend for me and thought it should have been a pretty standard weekend. Kansas should have gotten a win. Baylor should have had a nice win over Starling West Virginia. Texas gets a home game against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma on the routine. Like it just it looked like it was gonna be a pretty normal Saturday. And instead, we got a wild final day of the regular season that had upsets and excitement and close good games. I mean, it was it was absolutely nuts. And we can talk about the impact from results in a minute, but man, it was it from what I got to watch on Saturday, it was a really, really fun friggin' wild Saturday of college basketball for the Big 12. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely insane. You know, to be honest, I actually had tuned out a little early because Oklahoma was down so badly to uh, to TCU that I just assumed that West Virginia was going to end up with a three-seed in the conference tournament because of the way everything had kind of worked out there. And I honestly didn't think that Oklahoma was going to come all the way back and win that game. So even like the one that seemed, you know, it seemed crazy that result and then Oklahoma coming back to win it just made the day even more crazy because I had already kind of resigned to myself to the fact that all the crazy had already happened. So of the, of the weekend, which game was the, just, just kind of was the most like what to you? Like which one just, I don't know if surprise is the right word because there was some wild stuff, but what one just stood out to you most? I mean, it has to be that Oklahoma State just absolutely destroying Texas. Um, look, I, I personally didn't think that Texas was any good coming into the last few weeks. Um, and then obviously they kind of started really piling on wins and impressive wins. Um, and so I thought they had finally kind of turned the corner, not saying that they were going to be world beaters by any means. Um, but I thought they were done with these kinds of performances, which has me kind of scratching my head. I don't know if this tells me more about Oklahoma State and what could have been for them. You know, if, if, if likely hadn't gotten mono, 
Um, or if this tells me more about Texas and, you know, they scored some really strange upset wins, but they really aren't that good of a team. You know, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this game We outside of talking Texas. Um, Joel Penfield, my good friend from Cowboys Right for Free, is going to join us here in a little bit. We're going to talk a little OSU uh, hoops. But if you go look at the game, if you watch the game and you look at the stat line, I think what stands out most to you is Oklahoma State just had a insane shooting performance. They shot 66% overall, 61% from three. But that's just not, this is not a great shooting team. And they just, they just, they just couldn't miss. And Texas had a, had a, had a weird day and they wouldn't have a, a terrible performance, but it wasn't a good one by any stretch. But they just, you just ran into an Oklahoma State team who just, blasted them in the first half and then just just basically played keep away the rest of the way like every time it seemed like texas would, would get hot osu in the second half would just answer it and i mean you could say texas didn't play well or texas defense man at, at sometimes it's just about the other team just just plays better than you do and, and it doesn't matter and i don't want to i don't want to pile on too much on texas outside of talking about how funny this loss is and how much it kind of just really puts a damper on the excitement that had been the six game win streak but I think they just had a. I think they just had a day where they ran into an Oklahoma State team that has finally playing the kind of basketball we thought that Oklahoma State would be playing this season, and they just they just had it at the right time and it was the wrong time for Texas. Yeah, I mean, you know, this Oklahoma State team. I honestly, again, I just don't know what to think about them. It's really easy to imagine that if they had had everything the entire time, um, you know, that they would be an NCAA tournament team and it wouldn't even be close. Um, they're they're going to go into the NIT here and potentially go on a huge run and make people say like, what the heck was going on with them all year long. Um, and those that haven't been paying attention aren't going to know that the fact it was, you know, likely having mono and them, you know, kind of just really never overcoming that the way that they needed to. So um, yeah, this is, this has been kind of a weird, um, you know, really been a, just a weird season for them. Um, and it's also kind of a weird ending both for them and also for Texas. Like Oklahoma State looked by far and away the better team, um, even though they don't look it according to records. No, absolutely. Look, Texas, like we said, Texas had been on a very nice run. You win six in a row. You get the wins over Texas Tech. You get the win at West, or the win over West Virginia. And you get the win in the middle of the week over Oklahoma. Close win. Big win on the road, and it looks like Texas is about to claim the three seed because you get Oklahoma State coming into town for for Senior Day. Nothing should have said that Oklahoma State not only would would win, but but pull off a victory of of twenty two points. And just when everything's going right for Texas, they're on the, they're in the bracket. Everything's good. They go and have a game like this. And now look, Lenardi put out his latest bracketology on Sunday evening. Uh, Texas is still in the bracket. They are in the last four in, though. They are there with Stanford, Indiana, Texas, NC State. They're in the play-in game. And if if he puts the last four in in order, they're third to he last. He does. Okay. So put it this way. Um, they're not, like, comfortably in the last four in. It's basically them and NC State are, are the third and fourth, like, last four in teams. I don't want to break down the game that they have against Texas Tech in the Big 12 tournament coming up because we're going to do that this week with Brian Ralph um, in theory but the amount of pressure it puts on that game now a losing at Oklahoma on a neutral site is not a bad loss but or losing to Texas sorry losing to Texas Tech and a neutral site there is not a bad loss it's not going to kill their net ranking in any way shape or form but 
It also might be enough to knock him out. Look, Lenardi's not perfect. The committee may look at Texas and go, they're in. But if you're Texas right now, man, you were feeling pretty good. Things are going on the way. We're on the way up. You were, you were, you were feeling good. If I'm Texas, I'm feeling. I'm not. I'm not feeling good right now. I am not feeling good about. We really need to go beat Texas Tech to feel like we have a good shot at getting in. Because man, that is that is not the kind of loss you want to have on your your resume right there at the end of the season. Yeah, and Texas Tech is kind of in a similar boat. I mean, according to Lenardi, they're on the bubble squarely, so they're the last four buys. Um, you know, so if they lose that game convincingly to Texas, um, you know, then there's an opportunity for them to kind of fall out too, especially if there's some upsets in some of the, um, you know, in those in those tournaments for the other, for the other conferences. So uh, Texas Tech can't necessarily feel safe. Now, I, I personally feel that they're a little safer. Um, than a lot of the bracketologists seem to think that they are. They have that marquee win against Louisville. Um, you know, they have a, a fairly good resume, and they are very, very good in terms of the predictive metrics um, and kind of the way that they're set up efficiency rating that way. And so I, I don't know that I would necessarily be as worried about Texas Tech as some other people seem to think that they are. Um, you know, they still have a really good net rating. Um, but Oh, yeah, they're you know, still number I think, 22 in the net, which is, right, like, which is crazy. I think whoever loses that game is going to be sweating it out a little bit. It's going to be looking for a bunch of chalk and a bunch of these other bubble teams to be losing really early though. I, if you're 22 in the net, I don't think you're getting left out. You may not be seated very highly. <clears throat> you might be a 10 seed like, like Lenardi has them now. They might be an 11. And I understand that he has them as the last four buys, but you're number 22 in the net ranking. Like you're going to get in. I, I don't, I, I don't foresee them not. How do you put in a, let's say Texas does beat them. Texas beats them. Right now, their net ranking is 68th. Like, okay, if say they get the win over Texas Tech, they might be 58th. Do you really think you're going to put in a Texas over a Texas Tech whose net ranking is going to be like 20 spots lower? I just, I I think Texas Tech's probably okay. I don't think they're in spot for good seating, but I think they're okay. I think Texas is in a, they better win. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, and that funny thing, that loss knocked them all the way back. Like they were, they were on the verge of being, I think they were like 50, like 50, oh, I forget. They were in a good spot feeling net ranking wise. Like, cause you generally view like top 50, you've got a good shot at getting in. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure they were like 60, 54 ugh. or something like that coming yeah. into the game. That loss, that loss was bad. That was a bad loss to Oklahoma State. Yeah. It, um, it was horrible. The other loss that I think we really need to talk about on Saturday. Baylor had a... Look, I understand Morgantown is a tough place to play. But West Virginia hasn't been very good. For Baylor to go in there and get their third loss in five games, and I understand that one of those losses is to Kansas, and it was a close game at home. But you lost to TCU, who's – that's not a good loss. Um, and of your two wins, you beat Kansas State, who's awful. And you needed overtime to beat Texas Tech, who's good. Don't, don't, get, don't get me wrong. It was – you know, but it was a home game against Texas Tech. I just – Baylor is is heading into the NCAA tournament in a very unreliable position that doesn't just doesn't doesn't make me feel very confident in them right now. It's really it's really hard to be, and I just I don't know what to. I really thought West Virginia might give them a game because it was Morgantown, but I did not expect them to win. And by the end of the game, win fairly convincingly. Like Baylor kept it close, but West Virginia just. They could not get over the hump, and West Virginia, once it got rolling there in those last few minutes of the game, it was it was 
it was a very impressive into the game performance for West Virginia for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was absolutely incredible. I, I was actually kind of following along with that game. My wife actually had it on her phone uh, right next to me while we were sitting there watching Kansas and Texas Tech. And, you know, the, it was back and forth in the first half, and it looked like Bailey was going to go on a run. Um, and then West Virginia comes back to take the lead going into half. And then, you know, it goes back and forth again in the in the second half. I mean, it was just... You know, every time it looked like Baylor was going to go ahead and put them away, West Virginia clamped down on defense and got a little bit of a spurt from their offense. And, you know, it's it's a good thing whoever's playing West Virginia is not going to have to play them in Morgantown because, you know, they are a very, very formidable team at home. Um, you know, they are still, according to Ken Palm, they are the number 10 team in the nation in terms of overall adjusted efficiency margin, which is which is still kind of insane to think about a nine and nine West Virginia team in the Big 12 is has the 10th best overall adjusted efficiency margin. Um, you know, it was definitely a huge upset. Uh, I thought that Baylor was going to go ahead and pull it out and Kansas was going to have to win the game against Texas Tech to get the outright Big 12 win. Um, but, you know, I don't want to take anything away from from West Virginia or from Baylor in this game. It was a it was another hard fought game. Um, it does make you kind of wonder, though, what is going on with this Baylor team that they've dropped so many close ones. And, yes, it's been against great competition, um, except for that TCU game. But, uh, you know, it's just it's something – Something's kind of eating at me a little bit with this team, and and Baylor is still a team that I think could get to the national championship game. Um, but you know, have, after seeing these last few weeks, I could also see them getting upset, you know, by an eight or nine seed, um, just kind of depending on who the matchup is and whether you know they they tend to have some of these similar sorts of problems again. Yeah. I'll be excited to talk to Ralph about this and just get his thoughts on, especially when the bracket comes out. You know, who, what kind of teams. Uh, do we think might trip up Bailey here? Again, I don't want to get into the Big 12 tournament because we're going to try and preview that this week. Um, obviously, they get a first round bye, um, and they get a second, and then they get a, a matchup on day two against either TCU or Kansas State, which I feel pretty good about. Like I understand they lost at TCU; it was in Fort Worth. TCU is actually a decent team at home. Like I will give TCU credit; they have been a decent team at home, especially under Jamie Dixon. So it's not like it's like we, I think we said this on the pod. It's not that like end of the world loss. Another loss is so far. At the end of the season, they're just like, ugh, I can't believe they lost that game. Like, I understand TCU's not good, but they're decent at home. Kansas has lost in Fort Worth to worst TCU teams. Like, let's be honest here. Um, losing oh, to yeah. Kansas isn't the end of the world. And losing at Morgantown, you know, senior day, last game of the regular season. It's just that this is another team that had been so consistent. And I know they'd had some close games late. But to lose three of your last five for a team that had won as many in a row as they had is just a little bit, just a little bit concerning heading into the postseason. But uh, you know what? Maybe it means nothing. Maybe this, maybe the Big Twelve tournament is a chance for them to kind of just dust all that off and and start from scratch because it is postseason play. I mean, it, that's that's what this is, and and we'll absolutely see what happens in Kansas City. Looking at the weekend, Kansas and Texas Tech. I thought it was a really good game. I thought Texas Tech gave Kansas everything they could handle. And I actually came away from that game. Look, Kansas is, Kansas is, uh, I will look at what matchups are because I do think I've seen some possibilities of like Creighton as their two seed. And dude, Creighton's really good right now. Um, if they have to run into a team that shoots the three ball really well and is down, it has some decent, you know, defenders. That's a team that concerns people. But I, I feel comfortable saying like right now, like Kansas is a a team that could win the national championship. I was I came away from that game 
kind of impressed by Texas Tech as well as they had played. And and I I know they're not as good this year as they were the last couple. And it's I think it was unfair to expect that again from Chris Beard and Texas Tech. Um, it, they found some diamonds in the rough out of nowhere. But, you know, for Tech, I know the end of the season has not gone well. They've lost four in a row. That's not what you want to do. But I came away from this week for them, losing at Baylor in a close game, losing to Kansas at home in a close game. I came away impressed by them this week. And I know that it seems silly to say, but I don't, I'm not as concerned about Texas Tech as I was after the week where they lost back-to-back games to Oklahoma and Texas. I actually feel pretty good about them. Um, and I feel pretty good about them heading into the NCAA tournament. I, I, I understand, but I do. I just There's a reason their net ranking is as good as it is. I like this Tech team, and I feel like they're the kind of team who, if they get one of those talent, you know, if they get a 7-10 spot, I'm depending upon who the two seed is, I might have to put them as a possible two seed, like like upset pick into the Sweet 16. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they are a very, very strong team, much stronger than you would typically see, um, you know, kind of from the position and with the profile that they have, um, you know, which which actually kind of leads me into a point that we were kind of talking about a little bit here, you know, with four teams that were nine and nine, um, you know, and kind of what everyone is saying that this Big 12 conference is down this year. Um, you know, it's really only down compared to like last year, essentially, like you look at, at how strong in terms of adjusted efficiency margin, these teams are, um, Ken Palm always does this ranking where he looks at like the, the, you know, nine and nine or the 500 teams in each conference and compares them and looks at what their adjusted efficiency margin rating is. Um, and the big 12 this year is sec is in second place with a 15.72. So what, what that is, is essentially the average of all four teams that are nine and nine comes out to 15.72, um, which, you know, it's kind of, I mean, that's good for second place. It's well behind the big 10, which is 17.41. Um, but the craziest thing is that, you know, if Texas had won, because Texas is the lowest of those four teams at 11.46, if they had actually won their game against Oklahoma state, you would have the big 12 by far being the best team, or I'm sorry, the best conference in the entire nation, because that would have knocked Texas out of that, that calculation because they would have been 10 and eight, they would have been above 500. Um, And so it would have just been the average of West Virginia, Texas Tech and Oklahoma, which would have made them an 18.74, which would have been an entire point and almost a point and a half above the big 10 in terms of, you know, the 500 teams uh, in play in terms of what their average of adjusted efficiency margin is, which does a couple different things. One tells me that, you know, regardless of the fact that there are so many teams that don't have good records in the Big 12, this is still a very good conference that those teams that do go nine and nine, that many of them have such good efficiency margins overall. I mean, a team that went nine and nine in West Virginia is number 10 in the nation at 21.23, which is insane to think about. Um, but, you know, the worst of those 99 teams, if they had actually won and not been in that calculation, um, you know, it's crazy to just to think about the fact that that people could be saying by that Ken Palm metric, um, you know, that the big 12 was the best conference this year. I want to wrap up on this uh, with you, Andy, before we get to, to my good friend, Joel Penfield. Lenardi's latest bracketology has West Virginia as a seven seed, Oklahoma as a nine seed and Texas tech as a 10 seed. Of those three, 
and I know we don't have matchups, but like of those three, and that feels about like where those guys are all probably going to be seated unless one of them makes a run and wins the Big 12 tournament. Who would you feel strongest about making it to like the second weekend? Oh, I, I honestly, I, I have to say West Virginia because they are not going to get into a situation where they are in a true road game environment. They have played really well at neutral or at home this year. Um, and the fact that they have such a good defense, um, you know, they can lock down a lot of teams. They have the number three defense in the nation. And yes, their offense at times has problems, but Oscar Shibway is going to give a ton of people problems down low. Really, the only reason we're not talking about a guy like Oscar Shibway um, is because there are so many other dominant big men in the Big 12, and they're led by Yudo Kazabuki. If, if, if Azabuki was not in the Big 12 this year, um, then I think Shibwe would have been the best big man down low for the entire conference. He has been that good. Um, and so, you know, I, I honestly think that that's kind of the secret weapon that they have is that a lot of people are not going to take them seriously. And I think that they're going to surprise a lot of people, especially with that play down low, when they're not playing a bunch of teams in the Big 12 that can really pound you down low. He's going to be able to, to star. He's going to be able to propel them. And, you know, unless they just run into a team like Iowa, um, you know, with, with like a Luke Garza, which I just I don't see that they're going to be in the same range for those kind of matchups. Like, I don't think there's anybody that looks in that kind of seed range that is going to be able to stop them because they have another dominant big man down low. So I'm actually picking West Virginia to make it to the sweet 16, unless they, you know, just get that absolutely nightmare matchup for them. All right, Andy, it's always fun. Uh, we will hopefully talk to you again midweek. Just over knows I'm going out of town this week. So we're going to try and get our midweek episode to give a full big 12 tournament preview. Hopefully we'll have Brian Ralph on the show. So uh, keep an eye on that. We'll probably get that one up early. Andy, where can everybody check out your work? Follow, uh, talking about Kansas. Yeah, yeah. You can uh, catch my work over at Rock Chalk Talk or uh, over on Twitter at Rock Chalk Pod to catch all the latest episodes we have there. All right, Andy. Uh, we're going to Joel Penfield. Andy, as always, it's a pleasure, man. We'll talk to you again later this week. Yep. Excited to have my good friend Joel Penfield from Cowboys Ride for Free and Cowboys Ride for Free, the podcast, joining us today. Joel, welcome to the 1012. Thank you, man. It's been a little while, but I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, last time you were here, we talked baseball. We're going to talk a little hoops today, uh, specifically Oklahoma State going on the road in Austin in their regular season finale and pulling off a very, very impressive win over Texas, winning by 22 points, absolutely dominating the Longhorns, which is just wild and hilarious after the Longhorns went on a six-game win streak to get themselves back in contention for the NCAA tournament, but I don't have you here to talk Texas. Uh, what was your big takeaway from this game? How much of it do you think was just an impressive shooting performance from the Cowboys? And how much do you think it, it kind of speaks to where this team is now? I mean, I think this is very easily the best game that Oklahoma State and most complete game that Oklahoma State's played since the game against Ole Miss when they were in Brooklyn back in November. And we really haven't seen that team since then. I think a lot of that has to do with Isaac Likely going down with Mono a couple weeks later. Finally, he gets back healthy, and you see how good this team is. They've been on a really good stretch, 1-4-6. Uh, you had a really bad game against West Virginia. You played Kansas, throw that out the window. But you come back, you win your last three, you get to a winning record. Can You lock in, lock in a winning record on the season. You go into conference – to the conference tournament with a good chance to get to the NIT, something that didn't seem possible after an 0-8 start to conference play. So I think it's really just everyone is getting healthy. Uh, Isaac Likely is back to 100%. 
and the freshmen have started to contribute a little bit. At least Caleb Boone, Avery Anderson have been the two main guys that have uh, that have kind of stepped up out of that freshman class. But other than that, I, I, th- I think this is just finally we're seeing the potential of this team finally get back to what we saw earlier in the year. Obviously, there have been some some Mike Boynton detractors that the season, especially during that 0-8 start to conference play. I mean, how do you feel about Boynton at this point, and, and what's kind of been the vibe around the program surrounding him? It, it's very easy. It, it could have been very easy for this team to lay, you know, roll over, lay down, and just tank the rest of the year and not care, especially for the three seniors, Lindy, Cam, and Dizzy, that have uh, been through so much uh, in their time with the program. And they could have very easily done that and moved on, you know, mailed it in and got ready to go and do whatever they're going to do after they, uh, they leave the program. But they didn't do that. And I think that says a lot about what these guys feel about Mike Boynton as a head coach and how Mike Boynton feels about these guys. Uh, it, again, it'd be very easy for him to just play the freshman and move on, but he hasn't done that. He's stuck to his guns. Uh, they made some, some kind of philosophical changes. Uh, not shooting as many threes, moving the ball inside a lot more, uh, relying on, you know, the kind of the inside the arc, kind of the antithesis of, of basketball nowadays. And I think that says a lot about where Boynton is now, that he finally saw the writing on the wall of this team is not a very good three-point shooting team outside Thomas Sasagua. Let's pound the ball inside. And let, and they started winning games because of that. Shooting, I, I think, under 15 threes a game, you know, for most of this stretch. And they've been a lot more efficient. And they've gotten to the foul line, which they're a pretty good free, uh, free, uh, free throw shooting team. And I, th- I feel a lot better about where I'm at with Mike Boyden. Obviously, we know he's an incredible recruiter. Uh, X's and O's wise has been a little bit skeptical. But for the most part, he's learning on the job. He's not even 40 years old yet. This is his third year with a Power 5 program after being an assistant at the G5 and Power 5 level before that. So I, th- I think there's still a lot of room for growth with Mike Boynton. But there's a lot of pressure on next season when you bring in Kate Cunningham, Rondell Walker, Matthew Alexander Moncrief, one of the top five recruiting classes in the country, and they're not done getting guys on that class yet. You have to make the tournament next year. If not, then you really start to question, you know, okay, where are we at? Do we need to move on? Uh, but I'm not, I'm not trying to think about that right now. Right now, I'm impressed with what I've seen from him as a coach the last few weeks. So obviously, Oklahoma State kind of turned things around here somewhat quietly when seven of their last 10 in conference play, including their last three in a row here over Iowa state, Kansas state and Texas. I mean, the, the names of the wins aren't going to just wow you that much. Kansas state twice beating Iowa state TCU. Um, you know, Oklahoma is, is a nice win. Obviously Texas on the road, getting Texas tech. How much of you is, do you think this is just Oklahoma state has kind of, just kind of figured some things out. Like you said, they changed some of their strategy offensively. And how much of this is, you know, Isaac likely their starting point guard. Uh, he he missed some games in non-conference with Mono, and, and they kind of took a nosedive. And he, he, you know, if you've never had Mono, Mono takes a while to really fully recover from. Just because yeah. you're over Mono doesn't mean you're back to 100%. And it yeah. took him quite a while to get there. So how much of this do you think is – him finally being healthy and, and strategy or, or what things do you think kind of go into how they went from the slide they did to, to rebounding in this way? So I'll highlight two guys and I'll start with Isaac likely. So there's a great Oklahoma state podcast out there for those that don't know about it. It's called the Cowboy Chronicles. Uh, so it's Scott Wright and Jacob Unruh. Uh, they're two of the beat writers for Oklahoma state. Uh, and they, and Jacob Unruh talked about Isaac likely he came back for the Southeastern Louisiana game on December 29th. 
And he wasn't fully healthy, like 100%, until the Baylor game on the road on February 8th. So he played well over a month, you know, just kind of grinding and spinning the wheels and just trying to get back to 100%. He still wasn't there. And in that stretch, Oklahoma State went 0-8. And and you you got the win at Texas A&M, but for the most part, it was just a slide. He, you know, they won the game before that against TCU, and that he was probably about 90%. Oklahoma State's roughly 14 and 3, 14 and 4, with Isaac Likely at 90% or better. So when I when people talk about he's the straw that serves the drink for this team, they're not joking. He does have that big of an impact on this team. And I think the philosophical changes that I mentioned earlier of not shooting as many threes, I think the dude that took to that the most was Cam McGriff. And early on in the year, he was taking a lot of outside shots. He wasn't using his strength, which is getting to the rim as a guy that's 6'7", every bit of about 245, 250, and you know, using that strength and that build to go to the basket. He wasn't doing it. And I equated him to a guy like LeBron Nash a few years ago, who was a highly touted recruit, but everyone, and everyone thought, and he thought he was going to be a one-and-done, jack up a bunch of threes and go. And he just he ended up being a four-year player because he never – quite developed now I'll blame that more on the the coach at the time than the player but his senior year he finally realized you know what I'm just going to go and I'm going to play my role and I'm going to go and play 15 feet and in step outside every once in a while and get to the basket get to the free throw line and he I believe LeBron Nash was an all-conference player that year because of that change that he made I've wanted Cam McGriff to do that all season and finally, in the stretch of the last seven or eight games, he's been in double figures for the last 12. Uh, for the last seven or eight games, he, he'll take two or three three-pointers a game when he's wide open. He'll knock them down. And then he, it's play 15 feet and in, isolate a little bit, and get to the free throw line. And it's been effective for this team. He's been the go-to scorer. I, he was named all-conference honorable mention. I don't believe if he made the changes that he did to his game, I don't think he would have gotten that. So I think it says a lot to uh, to – his ability to just wanting to win games and doing what's best for the team, I think says a lot about where he's at. I think they said on the, on the broadcast in the game against Texas last, uh, the other night that he's been 50, 40, 90, the last seven games, seven or eight games. So 50% from the floor, 40% from the free throw line and nine or from the 40% from the three point line, 90% from the free throw line. And that's a big reason why Oklahoma state's won the games they had down the stretch. So obviously Oklahoma State now at 17 and 14. Uh, they're in the upper 60s of the net rankings as of today. Like this is not an NCAA tournament team at this point, barring a probably a, a winning the Big 12 tournament. And considering no team's ever won four games in four days to do so, I, I'm not going to hold out a lot of hope for this Oklahoma State team. Um, that said, postseason still probably alive for Oklahoma State. What do you think? It, it, do you think Oklahoma State, if they get an invite to the NIT, or even if they don't to the CBI or CIT, is that something you think the Oklahoma State would consider and should consider? Oh, for sure. I, I think postseason basketball is a big deal for this team. Uh, there was an article that came out. Uh, I think it was in uh, – it was a piece that Marshall Scott did for Pistols Firing where he talked about the journey of the four years uh, for the senior class of Thomas Zagwa, Cam McGriff, Lindy Waters, and Trey Reeves, who had had him in there. And they talked about – that 2017-2018 team that were Mike Boynton's first year and they get snubbed out of the, uh, the NCAA tournament when they really should have been in. And they met, I believe it was like Mitchell Solomon's apartment and talked about 
do we want to go and play in the NIT because we just got screwed out of the NCAA tournament? And they decided yes, because playing postseason basketball is important. And I think they're going to view it the same way. I think it's going to be really important for the freshmen to kind of just get a taste of postseason basketball and what it's like, you know, in that regard. Now, there, the NIT is small potatoes compared to what the NCAA tournament is like. But I think that sort of environment and preparing – for postseason basketball, I think is going to pay dividends for next season when you have this crazy recruiting class coming in. But you have guys that at least have some of that experience. I think it's going to be really important for the 2020 team. Okay. Obviously, Oklahoma State is going to face Iowa State uh, in the first round of the Big 12 tournament. We're going to do our Big 12 tournament preview later in the week. But I, I am curious from you, what do you do? You see Oklahoma State having a, a real shot here? I know Iowa State's kind of. Look, they're not they're not great right now. Um, not having Halliburton for the season's kind of derailed their year. Um, but do you think this is a win they need to get to to have a shot at the NIT? Uh, and then if they do get the W, I mean they they have not looked good against Kansas in two performances so far this season. They lost 60, 50, 65 to fifty at home, and it, it wasn't really even that close. And then fifty three or eighty three to fifty eight again in in Lawrence in a game that was close for a bit, and then Kansas just ran away with it. What what kind of shot do you give them against Kansas? Uh, I'm not going to give them any shot against Kansas. Um, as much as I love Oklahoma State, no, they're they're not going to beat Kansas this year. They're they're playing some of their best basketball right now, and I I don't expect that game to be particularly close. Much like the other two that Oklahoma State's played, I do think they beat Iowa State. Uh, they the, I'm kind of throwing the first game they played with them out the window, and that was still a, a close game in Ames, but that was without a healthy Isaac Likely. And that, that was just – that was when they were in probably one of the worst shooting slumps that I've ever seen from a team just in that stretch where they were just playing bad basketball. Uh, they, beat, they beat them by 12 uh, last Saturday uh, in Stillwater for what their senior day. Uh, McGriff had 19, Dizzy had 14, Lindy had 10. I, I think that they're – I don't think they're going to be able to run away with it, but I think they match up really well with Iowa State. They, Iowa State's without Tyrese Halliburton. I think Oklahoma State wins that game by probably 8 to 10 and then goes and probably gets boat raced by Kansas. But I think by winning at least one game in the Big 12 tournament, I think they're going to set themselves up for the NIT. I don't know if it's going to be a home game, but I think they're going to be playing postseason basketball nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope to see them continue to play. Obviously, it's been a rough season with them. Uh, starting point guard Isaac Lightly contacting Mono, and that just, I think that kind of derailed more than anything else. Obviously, other bangs and bruises and guys with flu and things of that nature. But I think that mono really just kind of killed what had the potential to be an NCAA tournament year for, for the Cowboys. Um, Joel, appreciate you coming on as always. Do me a favor. We're going to check out the work you do covering Oklahoma state. You can follow me at JT Penfield personally and follow at Cowboys RFF. That's the Cowboys ride for free Twitter page. We have a bunch of stuff coming up right now with wrestling, basketball, baseball, softball. We got a lot of stuff coming up. So be sure to check us out. Now, busy time for Oklahoma State Athletics. Obviously, wrestling just won their eighth straight Big 12 tournament, which is the first time they've won eight in a row since the 20s, and it's the first time anybody's doing it for the Big 12. Uh, softball's doing well. Baseball's doing well. It's a nice time to be a Cowboy right now, Joel. Yeah, absolutely.
Social Podcast Network.